There's a man by the name of Charles Templeton. He wrote a book called Farewell to God. You may or may not be uh, familiar with him, but he was an associate of Billy Graham. In fact, he was the man that was anticipated to be like the, the next great evangelist, actually, instead of Billy Graham. But he began to have some struggles with his faith. And in an interview with Lee Strobel, uh, Lee asked if there's like anyone just thing that kind of, you know, caused him to lose his faith. And it was more than one thing, but the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back is he said he saw a picture in Life magazine of a North African woman. Uh, they were in a drought and, and she was holding her, her dead baby and just kind of looking up to the heavens. And he's like, you know, how could God uh, let this happen to someone? Um, you know, when I was in high school, one of the books that we had to read was the book Night. And I don't know how much I remember from, from high school, but uh, this was something that impacted my life greatly. It was written by Elie Wiesel and about his, uh, him recounting his stories of you know, being in a concentration camp in World War II. He was Jewish. And he talks about the, he was 14, the, the first night that they arrived at Auschwitz, that uh, it was the last time he ever saw his mother and sister as they were separated that night. And he writes in the book, quote, never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke of the crematorium. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. He wrote of them, the guards hanging a young boy and someone in the line of prisoners who were forced to watch this, whispering, where is God now? And he said that his own internal response was, he is hanging here on this gallows. As a pastor, I've seen people who were followers of Christ or people who had become Christians and seemed like they were growing and excited about their faith and excited about Jesus. And then some kind of trial or suffering or difficulty comes into their life and it's like they abandon the faith and kind of go in their own direction. And to be honest, there's times in, in my life that uh, I've wrestled with this question, God, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Are you there? Are you mad at me? I remember when uh, we uh, had had a miscarriage and then uh, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, our, our, older, our oldest daughter was born with a very rare heart defect and had, uh, and had to have open heart surgery when she was three days old. I remember just thinking, God, are you mad at me? God, uh, you know, if I'd done something wrong, thinking, are we being punished uh, for something that, that we've done. We, we struggle with the, the issue, the question of suffering. And in this series, we're trying to answer the question, can suffering be avoided? And we said the biblical answer is no, that suffering is unavoidable due to the reality of sin. And so we followed that up with the question, is there any hope then? And, and so what, we've, uh, what I'm trying to show you is biblically is that we can have hope because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the reality that he is the God who suffered with us. And today we're going to talk about the fact that he's the God who suffered for us. And so the big idea that I want us to see today is that we can have hope in suffering because Jesus suffered for us 
on the cross. I want us to examine the issue of how the cross of Christ speaks to our suffering. So, if you've got a Bible or if you're on the online church platform, there's one that you can pull up there. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 11. But before we look there, if you would actually go to Romans chapter 3, and I want to give a little background here because the first words of Romans chapter 5 are, therefore having been justified by faith. And what we're going to see in Romans chapter 5 is him giving us some benefits of the gospel, giving us benefits of being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But I want us to see the gospel itself, why and how we're actually made right with God. Um, And so the gospel itself, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so what that's saying is, is that the law shows us the perfect righteousness, the perfect nature of God, who God is and what he expects of us, and the fact that we all fall short of that. And then the next verse says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Very important word. It means to be declared righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, a lot of people think we can be made right with God through our own efforts, our own works, through uh, keeping God's law. But actually, the law is like a mirror that shows us we're dirty and that we need to get in in, in the shower. It doesn't cleanse us. It shows us that we fall short. Therefore, we can't be made right with God by our own efforts or by being religious or by things that we do. So then, that raises the question of how can we be made right with God? And he says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to be declared righteous, if you want to be right with God, forgiven, uh, cleansed, not having to live in guilt, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 23 then, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. We're all in the same boat. We're all declared unrighteous by the law of God. But the good news then, verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're freely declared righteous in the sight of God. That means we're declared righteous at no cost to us because Jesus paid the price. That's the grace of God, that we deserve hell and and, and condemnation, but that he uh, blesses us. He came and died for us. He gives us grace. He came to redeem us, to purchase us back from the clutches of sin. It says, whom God set forth as a propitiation, which means atoning sacrifice by his blood. It's talking about Jesus dying for us on the cross. Through faith, Jesus did the work. We receive him in his righteousness by trusting him to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this is very important. We're going to come back to this at the end to understand that phrase, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. He's just. And so he must punish sin. But God is also love and grace and mercy 
And so he chose to forgive us. How did he accomplish this? He accomplished this through the cross of Jesus Christ, where God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, where when we trust him, the wrath of God is averted. It's moved from us onto Jesus, and we receive his righteousness in return. But if we reject Jesus, the Bible tells us, John 3, 36, for example, that the wrath of God abides, it remains on us. So, so that's the gospel. We exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness by what he did on the cross through faith. And so then coming to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, and, and, and therefore is connecting it to everything he's already said in Romans, having been justified, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And think about it, that's a crazy phrase. What does that even mean, glorying in tribulations? We should be, we be glorying in the difficulties that we're experiencing right now. And he says in perseverance, character, and, and, and character, hope. Uh, and, per, and now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then having now been justified, declared righteous by his blood through what he did on the cross, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So I want us to see today that we can have hope in suffering because Jesus suffered for us on the cross. And I want to give you four reasons or four things that the cross accomplishes for us that show us how we can actually have hope in suffering through the cross. And once again, I want you to understand that the cross is ultimately about Jesus suffering for us. So we don't have to suffer under the condemnation of God e e eternally. It's, it's about salvation, but there's many benefits built into the cross. And the cross provides answers for our suffering, and that's one of those benefits. That's what I'm saying. So, number one, I want us to see that through the cross, we have direct access to God despite our sin and suffering. Through the cross, we have direct access to God despite our sin and suffering. How does that speak to the issue of suffering? Well, here's how it, it, it speaks to it. The gospel says that Jesus is our ultimate treasure. And so that means if life is really hard, that means even if we lose it all, that when it's all said and done, we have the ultimate treasure who can never be taken away from us or we can never be taken away from him. 
That, that's what our hope has to be grounded in. Because if it's grounded in the things of this world, it could go at any time. If we've not learned anything in the last few weeks, I hope that we've learned that. That life is fleeting. The things of this world are, are fleeting. Uh, the, the things that are important and good can be taken away. Things that are bad can be taken away. Things that are, maybe are just neutral, but sometimes we go to for comfort. Like sports or shopping or just even social gatherings. That can be taken away. And if all the outer stuff is stripped away, what do we still have? Robert Smith Jr. has said, When faith is stripped to the bone, no marrow, no tendons, no muscles, no fat, no gristle, and all our props and crutches are gone. Our faith in God that he is good and is still on the throne is the only thing that will keep us going. I've found in my life, you know, I've, I've shared some of the difficult experiences that, that, that we've been through in our lives. I've found that God is there, that uh, there's, there's peace and comfort, that when you're in a hospital chapel praying for your three-year-old uh, to survive heart surgery, that God's presence is with you, that when you're alone in a hospital waiting room while your wife is having surgery, that God is with you. You see, what these verses are saying to us is that we were enemies of God, with God, because of our sin. But when God declared us righteous, he's reconciling us to himself. Reconcile means that there was, there was something that was together, that it was separated, and now it's brought back together again. You see, God created us and made us in his image. Sin separated us, but the cross reconciles us, brings us back to God. If you're in Christ, no matter what outward suffering you're going through, you are now a beloved child of God. You're not an enemy with God. Listen, if, if you're a child of God, even if life's hard, it doesn't, God's not mad at you. I've gotten over thinking that way because all of God's wrath, all of God's righteous anger was taken off of me at the cross. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word peace here means to bind together that which has been separated. The word with literally means facing so now what this is saying, that instead of being ashamed and afraid, the believer in Jesus can now face God with peace because we have the righteousness of, of Jesus. You are connected to him. You're in him. You have a relationship with him. And so whatever is going on outwardly, don't lose sight of the fact that if you're in Christ, you have God. You have the ultimate treasure. Is Jesus your ultimate treasure? And if, if he's not, you can repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in him today. Let me say this one other thing before we move on to the next part of this. And, and that is, maybe you've heard a presentation of the gospel of Christianity that says something like, if you accept Jesus then your life's going to be good. He's going to fix your problems. Uh, your, your marriage is, is going to get better. Or uh, maybe you've heard the prosperity gospel that says you can claim whatever you want from God. Uh, you know, you're going to be healthy and happy, maybe wealthy. You're going to have all these kind of things going for you. Can I just tell you that is not the gospel? 
And a time like this certainly, I think, exposes that as false and fake. Remember, the gospel is about the fact that we are sinners and Jesus died for our sins to justify us, to, to, to give us his righteousness, to reconcile us to God. It's not about what we get from God. It's about getting God. Do you know God? And at the end of the day, he is enough no matter what's going on. Is your faith in Christ or is it in your circumstances? Number two, here's a second effect of the cross. And that is that through the cross, we are assured that there is a divine purpose in suffering. Through the cross, we are assured that there is a divine purpose in suffering. If you'll notice in verse 3 again, he says not only that, but that we also glory in tribulations. Now, I mean, I think if we're honest, sometimes we read stuff in the Bible, it's kind of hard to swallow. And, and, and that's one of these tough phrases, I think, if we're honest about it. Glory and tribulations? I don't like tribulation. Really, literally, and it can probably be applied in other ways, but literally this is refer, uh, uh, referring to tribulations or you know, persecutions that specifically coming to a Christian because uh, of following Christ. But, um, you know, I don't want to suffer. I like it when life's easy. But the Bible says to give thanks in all things and that we're to rejoice in the Lord. And so that's not to be dependent on our circumstances. Well, how can we actually, uh, you're saying, my life's bad, just go around praising God all the time. But I want want to try to help us to change our thinking, to root our thinking in God's word. That if we're in Christ, our trials and tribulations and suffering is never purposeless. That God is working all things together for good. That God is working through it to refine us, to transform us, to develop us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, what what do tribulations accomplish? Well, notice kind of the progression that he lays out here in in, in, in verse 3. He says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And this is talking about endurance. So we develop endurance by enduring things. And then perseverance then produces character. And so character is developed and it's also revealed during trials. God grows us in tough times. And then character produces hope. As the more we go through and the more we see God come through, the more our hope, our confidence is settled. It's easier, way easier for me to trust God in difficult times now. Not that it's always easy, but it's way easier than it used to be because I've seen God come through so many times. Now, when we talk about hope, remember Hope is not like a hope so kind of thing. Like I hope the coronavirus goes away. I hope that. But that's not biblical hope because I have no idea as to when it's going uh, to go uh, away. Uh, Biblical hope is, uh, I like the way J.D. Greer defines it. He says, hope is the confidence that God will keep all his promises, is working all things together for good, and that one day he will restore all things in the resurrection. And in the meantime, he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's hope. It's a grounded, settled confidence and expectation. And here's something I would say. Now, you may disagree with me that there's hope in Jesus Christ, and that's certainly your prerogative. But here's what I'm saying. If this is true, if the gospel's true, if Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead, then there is hope 
There is purpose even in the midst of our trials. But think about the flip side. If, if atheism, uh, naturalism, humanism is true, there really is no hope. Everything is purposeless. We're, we're just the product of evolutionary uh, processes. We're just highly evolved uh, animals. And you know the end of everything is, is the grave. And everything's random and chaos. And there's no God working in this. And it just is what it is. We, you know, where's there hope in that? Where's there hope in karma and cycles of reincarnation? Hope is found in Jesus Christ in his cross. God is working in us and through us even during trials. I actually preached on this text uh, back in December at, from a different angle. We were doing a series called Joyful, and, and I preached about rejoicing uh, in, in our trials. And, um, you know, I, I've shared this uh, somewhat, but, uh, you know, as I was preparing for that message uh, the week before Christmas, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me in my spirit that you need to be prepared for a trial at the beginning of the year. And I didn't know what that was going to be. But what I've found as we have been walking through uh, th this trial is that God has grown me. He's uh, refined my character. He's given me more endurance. And I have more confidence in him now than I did before the trial. He's made me more uh, compassionate. He, he's made me more loving. He's done a lot of things in my life. And while I never signed up for that trial, I see God's purpose in it. He's always working for the good of his children, but he's always working to make us more like Jesus. And we have to understand that that doesn't happen just by everything being easy and rosy and, and, and smooth. It didn't work that way for Jesus. It's not going to work that way for us. God has a good purpose in everything that he's doing, including our trials. And so when we see it from that perspective, we can still rejoice and we can thank God and we, could sub we can submit to him and his purposes and allow him to work in us and through us instead of fighting against what he's trying to do through a trial. You're saying God gave your wife cancer? I'm not saying that. I believe cancer is a product of the fall, but he allowed it to happen. And I believe uh, you know, through that, he is working for his glory, for our good, and for the good of other people. God is working out his good purposes for his children. Three, through the cross, we are guaranteed that God loves us no matter what suffering we're experiencing. You ever wonder if God really loves you? I mean, some of you may wonder if there is a God. Some of, you may, some of you may question if you believe there's a God, is that God love? Some of you may feel like right now or at times, maybe we all wonder this at times. I, I don't know. if like I know God's love, but it seems like he loves everybody else. But does he really love me with what's going on in my life? And, and, and this is the point, maybe this is the main point of, of this text. If there's any one thing I want you to take from this, whenever you're watching this, is that if you ever doubt that God loves you, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it, that Jesus would leave heaven, 
Leave being worshipped forever and ever. Leave the perfect fellowship with the Father. Leave the perfection and the splendor and majesty and glory of heaven to come to the squalor of being born as a baby in a manger, of living uh, you know, with, with sinful people, of being rejected, of suffering, of being brutally beaten, horribly crucified. And that's why these verses say, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarce for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates, and the word demonstrates means it, it, it proves. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, listen, not because we're so lovely and lovable and awesome, not because we've got it all together, but when we were still sinners, listen, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you've done, however much you've rejected God, however messed up you may be, however struggling you are, God loves you and he proved that because Jesus died for you. You know, I I think back to what I uh, began with and talking about Ellie Vizel and and, and Knight and and just what he said, uh, you know, it's God there on those gallows. And how do you answer that. I mean, how can there be such evil and suffering in the world that something like the Holocaust uh, could happen? Where do we find God in that? And I would say the only way we can really find God in the light of those questions is to see that Jesus is the God who did hang for us. Maybe not on those gallows, but on that old, rugged, bloody Roman cross. In fact, John Stott has put it this way, and I, and I couldn't agree more. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I've turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us, our sufferings become more manageable in the light of His. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark the cross, which symbolized divine suffering. The cross proves, it demonstrates the love of God to us. Uh, Someone, after all the carnage of World War I, wrote a poem called Jesus of the Scars. And the last stanza reads this way. He wrote, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. 
I would commend to you today, present to you today, the God of wounds, the God of stars, of, of scars, Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who suffered in your place so you could be forgiven of your sins and delivered from the wrath of God. Like I said, that's ultimately what the cross is about, but also it gives us hope in dealing with the sufferings that we experience in this life because he suffered too. Well, there's one last effect of the cross that we need to talk about in, in this text. And, and that is that through the cross, we are spared from eternal suffering and brought into the glorious presence of God. Through the cross, we are spared from eternal suffering and brought into the glorious presence of God. Now, you may be thinking, okay, you're talking about eternal suffering. I, I thought uh, in this series you were trying to give us hope in the midst of our suffering. Why are we going to bring eternal suffering? Why are we going to bring hell into this? Well, in reality, it's because this text and in, in many places in the Scripture bring it into it. I mean, uh, these verses talk about the wrath of God and they talk about the glory of God. And we need to understand that our eternal experience will either be the wrath of God, or the glory of God in his presence. One or the other, the only options. Our eternal experience will either be the wrath of God or the glory of God. You say, why should I talk about this? Well, I mean, think about it this way. What, what if um, six months ago I knew that uh, coronavirus was going to be coming and I could have sounded a warning and gotten us prepared. And what if somebody else had, had, had figured out a vaccine in, in, in that time and we hadn't shared it? You would think we were awful. You would find that to be criminal. Well, if there is a possibility that hell is a real place and we don't talk about it, isn't that awful? Isn't that criminal? You see, when the Bible talks about the wrath of God, here's what's behind it. Scripture uh, tells us that the wages of sin is death. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what the Bible says there, God said if you eat of this forbidden fruit that you were surely going to die. They did die spiritually, but God in his grace spared them physically, allowed them to, to be able to live and, and to ultimately be saved. But the Bible says that, the, that we're born in trespasses, dead in trespasses and sins. So we're born spiritually dead, separated from God. If we don't meet Christ, we're going to be eternally dead, eternally separated from God. Physical death is the separation of, of the body from the soul, from uh, the spirit. And, and, and so uh, since we're born dead, unless we're born again through Christ, unless we're made spiritually alive, the Bible teaches us that God is going to judge us. That's what it's talking about in Romans 5, 9, when it talks about being saved from wrath through him. God, God's wrath is his righteous anger against sin and against sinners. Now you say, why does God have to be that way? Or why do we have to talk about this? Can't we just talk about the love of God? Well, God's not like a buffet line. We don't get to pick and choose what we like about him. He is who he is. But here's my thing. Would you really want a God that's not just, that's not righteous, that's not holy, that's actually not even a God of wrath? Think about it this way. What if, God forbid, your child were murdered and the murderer was caught 
and, and, and tried and convicted by a jury. But, but the judge, because of whatever reason, uh, voided the conviction and set him free. Would, would you be happy with that judge? Would you think he's awesome and great, even though he had been merciful to this person? No, you'd be want justice. You would want wrath, and rightly so. So, if God just says, okay, you can re- re- reject me, you can rebel against me, you can hurt other people, you can do whatever you want, and I'm just going to look over that, is that really the kind of God that we want? I don't really think it is, but I think that our problem sometimes may be is we want justice for other people, and we want mercy, we want God to look over our own sin. But the reality is, it, it doesn't work that way. And while... Jesus gives us hope in dealing with suffering that we have to deal with in this life. The ultimate issue is eternity. And are we going to experience the glory of God, experience his presence in heaven? Are we going to eternally suffer under the wrath of God because of our sin and our rejection of Jesus Christ? You say, Jimmy, do you really believe in hell? I do. You say, why? Well, I want to give you five reasons, just kind of quickly. And this is kind of adapted from a book called The Problem of God by Mark Clark. And if you have questions about the Christian faith, I would highly recommend it to you. Why do I believe in hell? I believe in hell because Jesus believed in hell. And he rose from the dead. And my philosophy of life is I'm going to go with the guy who rose from the dead. Jesus said, Matthew 25, 41, Then he will also say to these on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And it's the same Greek words. If there's eternal life, there's eternal punishment. Matthew 8, 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe in hell because Jesus believed in hell and he rose from the dead, which qualifies him to be the expert on eternity and every other subject. I believe in hell because of God's greatness and justice what we talked about before. I believe in hell because of the weight of our offense. Sometimes people will say, you mean people are going to eternally, infinitely suffer because of sin? That doesn't seem fair. But you have to understand that the weight of our offense is against an infinite God, which demands an infinite punishment. Even beyond that, I think the thing that we miss sometimes, I've missed this honestly, is that people don't stop sinning in hell. It's not like people go to hell and get good and... uh, you know, never sin anymore, and they repent and, and trust Jesus, and God's just being mean to them. No, they continue on sinning because really what is happening in hell is God is leaving people to the choice that they made on this earth that continues forever and ever because the Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die and then the judgment. And the last reason I believe in hell is because of the cross. Think about the hell that Jesus went through on the cross. That's how bad sin is. And so if we, if we reject Jesus, we deserve the wrath of God that he took for us, but that we won't receive what he did for us. And so the Bible summarizes our eternal options in this way, starting in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. 
And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And when those are read, there's not going to be any excuses. It says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But then he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Listen to me. There's suffering in this world. There's suffering in our lives. And I encourage you, as you try to deal with that, to look to Jesus, because he came and suffered for you. The cross proves his love for you. The cross gives a purpose in suffering. It gives us a relationship with God. And it gives us a hope for eternity. Are you resting in, relying on Jesus, looking to him, finding comfort and peace in him, letting him love on you and help you? Are you you doing what we talked about last week? Are you taking your needs to his throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in your time of need? I would encourage you to do that right now. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you have a relationship with Jesus, just take your needs to him right now. Ask him for mercy and grace. You need somebody to pray with you, click on that prayer button or let us know in the comments section. If you need something, want us to minister to you, please let us know. But if you're not a Christian and you're not sure, heaven and hell are real places. I believe that with all my heart because Jesus rose from the dead and he talked about heaven and hell. Where are you headed? Where are you headed? Because the sufferings of this life do not compare to the suffering of an eternity apart from Christ. But even apart from that, we need him now. We need to know God. He's the only rock. He's the only thing that's sure and constant in this life. So I just want to encourage you right now, not just to like pray a prayer to get out, of, get out of hell free card. That's not what I'm talking about. We have to be broken over our sin, want to be forgiven of our sin, want to know God. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, right now, I encourage you to place your faith and trust in him, to ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to give you a relationship with God. Let me just encourage you, wherever you are at this moment, wherever you're watching this, just to call on the name of Jesus because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord that we will be saved. If you believe in your heart right now, will you confess in your mouth will you surrender to Jesus as your Lord? And so I just want to ask you there where you are just to bow your head close your eyes and just to call on his name. Do it in your own words if you feel comfortable doing that. 
If you need help in knowing what to say, I mean, there's nothing magical about a prayer. It's the faith in your heart. But if you need some guidance, you can pray something like this. You can pray, Dear Jesus, I've sinned against you. Lord, I am truly sorry for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. And right now, I ask you to come into my life and take control of my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And right now, I receive you as my Savior and confess you as my Lord. Jesus, I commit my life to you. And I want to encourage you to do something. If, if you just prayed that prayer, you're on the church online platform, there's a button underneath me that you can, you can click on, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to share your decision with us, and then take the next step of clicking on the prayer button so that we can talk with you and help you to grow in this. If you're on one of the other platforms, uh, let us know by commenting, or you can email us at info at thetruelifechurch.com, or you can message me on Facebook at uh, Jimmy Inman, and let us know that you you've received Christ, or let us know that you want to talk to someone about that. So uh, our band's going to do a final song, but uh, as they sing, as, as they lead us, if you're a Christian, I encourage you to worship. Like I said, if you need prayer, if you need ministry, if you want to become a Christian, or if you have and you want to talk to somebody about that, contact us through one of these means, and we'd love to minister to you in whatever way that we can.